Well, it's time uh, now for what is an annual tradition uh, here in the church, and that is our New Year's Nuggets uh, message. And so for those of you not around in previous years, it's a -a once-in-a-year gathering of some uh, nuggets of thought, um, nuggets of wisdom perhaps, uh, but either things uh, on my heart or mind or more often just material that uh, didn't make it into other messages that I kind of put aside and then putting them together into one message in one place. And then we eat nuggets after the service, uh, but not this week. Uh, but next week we are, um, but it didn't seem right to go shopping and preparing for nuggets on the week of prayer and fasting. Uh, just a little too tempting, I think. And, um, but we'll have part two next week, and then we will eat nuggets. And it's great to have messages, you know, directly from a text or about a topic uh, that goes deep about one or two things, but sometimes it's also good to just kind of briefly sample uh, a few different topics from the Word. And Scripture does this actually uh, fairly often, so we're in good company. Of course, the book of Proverbs in the Bible is like this, going from one thing to another. Uh, But also, you know, Paul and the New Testament writers, you'll find if you read their letters, that sometimes at the end or somewhere else in their letters, letters, uh, they'll just start giving kind of little pieces of advice or little kind of words of wisdom that apparently just kind of didn't fit elsewhere in the letter, and they don't really necessarily fully develop them. And so some examples of those kinds of passages are on the screen. So the next two mornings, I'm doing something like that by uh, offering up a uh, six-piece nugget uh, order of thoughts, uh, three nuggets each week. And, uh, you know, just because it's a a nuggets message uh, doesn't mean uh, I don't, as always, kind of pray over the material and ask God to help me really organize the information and and give me the points. And uh, as the Lord often does, Uh, I felt that he really just helped me kind of organize it and um, bring this material into a cohesive and, and I think, logical flow. So uh, let's just pray before we go into these. Lord, we ask that there might be one nugget uh, over these next two weeks that maybe is a specific word for someone, uh, or perhaps it will just transform their way of life and way of thinking this year, this week. But Lord, ultimately, uh, if any one of these can just help us to seek you more, to love you more, to enlarge our hearts for you and for others, then Lord, let that be. So we come to you, Lord. We are desperate for you and your Holy Spirit for transformation to take place in our hearts. It can't happen on its own. So we need you. Come and speak to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So... Uh, I went through kind of all the the extra material, and it sort of sorted itself out into three kind of categories here, which uh, I've organized as inward, kind of about or toward us, outward, uh, about others, and then upward, about God. And of course, these three areas correspond to how we often talk about the purpose of the church, capital C, global, um, which is, you know, that it's the church is about worship to God, that's the upward. The church is about edification, building each other up, that's kind of the inward. And the church is about mission, uh, that's the outward, sending people out to do God's work. And so next week we'll actually do a similar outline, but we'll go in a 
in a different order um, of upward, inward, outward. For these aren't, you know, linear activities in the church necessarily. It's more of a spiral or a circle where they all intersect and overlap with each other. So let's start with the first one, uh, a point about inwards, about us or toward us, and that is that communing brings compassion. I said this is about us, but of course, it's never really about us, uh, but you get my point that it's about our interior life with God is what we're talking about here, the inward edification. And this nugget comes from uh, our outdoor service back in the summer when I preached on the feeding of the 5,000 and I had to keep it really short because we're outside, there's a lot of distractions and we're battling elements sometimes and different things. So I cut a bunch of material, but I focused that message on, on the actual feeding of the 5,000. But here I want to highlight what happens directly before that in the story. And you're welcome to turn there in Matthew chapter 14. But in verses 13 and 14, right before the feeding of the 5,000, it says, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boats privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. And when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Here's a great example and lesson from Jesus, which is this, that we can't be moved with compassion for others without first communing with the heart of the Father. Right? Notice how Jesus was in a solitary place, having quiet time, so to speak, before he engages this large crowd. And this is a biblical pattern you know, modeled by Jesus and others, namely that in the words of Jesus, we can't bear fruit apart from the vine, Jesus Christ. And this is why we fast. This is why we pray. Not so much for God to change circumstances as much as it is, it is for God to change us and our hearts. In verse 14, it then says, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed the sick. And the reason he was able to have compassion was because he could see them in the way the Father saw them after communing and having the heart of God. You know, and you might say, I, I just can't have compassion right now. You know, I, I just can't worry about others right now. My life is just too crazy. There's just too much going on. I can't even take care of myself right now. How can I take care of others? And I get that. I do. But here's what's even more significant about this story. Look at verse 13 and how the story starts. When Jesus heard what had happened, what had just happened, read the story before. His good friend, John the Baptist, had just been murdered, put to death. Jesus had just received this news. I mean, if anyone had a reason to say, I just can't right now, it was Jesus. How could Jesus possibly have the strength to have compassion on others? Well, the truth is, he didn't. He was drawing from the strength of the Father. And that's why he had to first 
go to a solitary place. Maybe sometimes you feel uh, what's often referred to as compassion fatigue, meaning you're just worn out and overwhelmed by the constant and never-ending needs around you and around the world, and it just overwhelms you. And again, I get that too. I mean, and we'll discuss this in a second in the outward part, but, I, you know, I can't tell you how many, you know, calls and emails we get each week or conversations we have where people want, you know, uh, me or us as a church to do something, to participate in something, to, you know, rally for a cause. And, and sometimes I just want to crawl into a hole and go away and cry and say, Lord, I can't, I just can't deal with it all. And the Lord's response, of course, is, I know, you can't, you're right. And I believe God often says, and I'm not asking you to. I'm God, you're not, right? But come away with me and I will direct you and I will lead you. I will give you the heart of compassion that you need and I'll show you where to put your time and your energy. Compassion fatigue mostly results from our ministry and compassion not flowing out of deep communion with the Father. I mean, of course we would get fatigued without that, right? The world is too overwhelming. So the answer isn't necessarily less ministry to others as it is more communion with the Father so that we can be like Jesus. Yes, taking our hurt and pain to God as Jesus does here, I mean, he just maybe lost his best friend. But then also being filled with the Father's compassion. Because our, uh, and because our inward you know, transformation, experiencing with communion with God, it leads to this outward action. And that kind of leads us into nugget number two is how these flow together. And that is that our generosity leads to more Yes. Jesus' communion with the Father, it led to some very practical ministry, right? He took care of the sick, in this case, healing them. He fed the hungry, the feeding of the 5,000. And out of our communion with God and learning His heart, in the same way, practical ministry should flow out of us and out of these walls as a church where, like Jesus, we can say yes to those around us. And yes to kids. And I'm grateful to say that, that this is happening, right? And it, and it has a lot to do with your generous hearts as a church, investing your lives and your time and your money and your talents and passions into God's kingdom. And I thought of this kind of little phrase uh, several times over, over the past months and lately, and that is this, that your generosity in all these areas I just mentioned your generosity allows our church to say yes even more. And I've just been rejoicing in that. Like I said, we get you know, tons of requests uh, for help every week. And of course, there's no way we can possibly meet all the needs or say yes to everything. And that's why we also partner with other organizations and we work together. But I'm also you know, aware of and grateful for the privileged place that we have as a church where we're able to really know and, and receive words about some of the needs that are in our community. 
And I'm grateful that people think of this church in particular as a place that they can reach out to. And because of our reputation, you know, we've frequently had social workers and MLAs and city councilors and just ordinary, ordinary people refer people to our church because they hear that we're a place that cares, that helps people. And I can tell you that this is actually a fairly kind of new development that's happened, that it didn't used to happen all the time, that people were constantly being referred to our church. And, you know, we're not posting a help hotline out there uh, for our church. And if we did, we'd completely crash and burn under the weight of, of needs and requests. And we also have policies in place, you know, that encourage good stewardship. I'm not saying we're just kind of, you know, throwing money around everywhere. Uh, you know, we have policies that kind of protect how we do that. And we don't give out cash and, you know, things like that. But we do step in and help people. And here's just a few examples, big and small, local and global, where we were able, where we were able to say yes. Uh, first, when a gentleman's hot water tank... Uh, blew up and he couldn't afford to replace it and he desperately relied on hot water due to his medical condition we were able to help pay for half and get it delivered to him we were able to say yes when the elementary school asked us to come back into the school this year and and serve a warm breakfast buffet to kids who need it we were able to say yes even though we knew it would be extra expenses to do that and has one local man who just moved here on his own, we helped uh, with a hotel room while he found a job and, and work boots for that job and helped get him on his feet and get settled in Parksville. Your regular generosity allows us uh, to say yes to uh, sponsoring two kids in Cambodia, which is uh, one of the poorest nations on earth. I thought I brought up, I did. And this is just one of the letters we recently received and we try to post them out on the board out there, but. Um, this is from, uh, I think it's Nee, I believe. Yeah, Nee. She says, I want to thank you for your monthly support. I'm very excited to write this letter to you. Thank you for loving and caring for me. I will try my best to study hard. I wish you good health. God bless you. So I just want to share that with you because you're a part of changing that child's life. Your generosity allowed us to respond quickly to the, to the changing weather and say yes when approached about hosting a warming shelter here during the day. And there were lots of people here to take advantage of that. We were able to say yes to weekly opening our building and providing hospitality through the Good Food Program on Thursdays. And, you know, in addition to that providing healthy and affordable food, it also leads to opportunities uh, just to care for people and to minister to people. And I watch it happen out in the lobby and it's so cool. Uh, just one example though, was the gentleman's car uh, broke down at Good Food and it wouldn't start and he had to get it towed. And uh, you know, we followed up and we talked to the man's daughter and we found out he was going through a really hard time financially. And so we were able to help out and give some groceries and do some things. And, and his daughter was just overwhelmed that we as a church, even though they don't attend here or, or have anything to do with it, that we would, we would help out. And I could literally give dozens and probably hundreds of stories. And, you know, just the fact that we have uh, more staff these days uh, and the church is actually open during the week and it didn't used to always be that way. It just allows us to say yes so much more and to meet needs. And so I just want to say a, a huge thank you for making us a church that can say yes. And for all the times you have said 
yes, and supporting the local expression of the kingdom of God through your time and your money and your material possessions. So uh, perhaps a few more thoughts on this next week, but uh, this then leads us a little bit into uh, our last nugget, which is a little bit of uh, extra material from our Christmas Eve message on the wonder of worship, where we looked at the Magi and uh, something I, I didn't really get to mention or unpack that night was about their worship and how uh, wasteful or, or wasteful their worship was. And you know, this, this sounds like almost a negative kind of thing to say wasteful in our worship, but it's actually a positive thing that the worship of the Magi to most uh, would have been considered just full of waste, right? Why waste all this knowledge and wisdom and education they had chasing down this Jewish baby when they could have been, you know, advancing their co careers and climbing the social ladder? Why waste their expensive gifts on a baby? Remember that I said that these were items of major value in that time, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They could have gotten away with something less costly, but they decided to waste their wealth and worship on Jesus. And just going from that example, you know, I say this with all humility, but also with responsibility, kind of as your pastor to challenge us with God's words, you know, that, that giving in worship that doesn't feel costly is dangerous. If it's easy to give the amounts of money or time we give or easy to live our lives for Jesus, then those are indicators that we're not being wasteful and extravagant in our worship and our service. The Magi story, you know, it made me think of, and it's almost really a precursor to another story in Jesus' adult life, as recorded in Mark 14, when a, a lowly woman comes and she pours what's called very expensive perfume on Jesus. And the people around her say, and these are the exact words recorded, they say, why this waste? But what they call wasteful in that story, Jesus calls a beautiful thing. So as the band comes up, just a reminder that we are called to wasteful worship to Jesus. That our worship will be wasteful, meaning we will waste our time, our money, our possessions, and ultimately our life on Jesus. Jesus compares it to a treasure or a pearl of great price that we forsake all for and abandon all other pursuits for this one thing. So church, let's inwardly commune with the Father to increase our compassion. Let's let that lead us outwardly to generous hearts that say yes. And then let it all flow out of radical, extravagant, even wasteful worship to Jesus. And so, you know, we're going we're gonna to waste some time this Wednesday night at six o'clock just worshiping Jesus, extravagantly pouring our hearts out to Him and praying. Uh, but we'll just start a little now by closing in response. And you may want to 
you know, come like the woman in Mark 14 and just kind of pour yourself out at Jesus' feet, however the Spirit is leading you to commune with the Father so that your heart might be enlarged and transformed. So would you stand? And Lord, we just want to waste our lives on you. Lord, as it's been said, uh, based on the... (laughs) the book of of that title, Lord, but we're going to waste our lives on something. (laughs) So it might as well be on you. So God, help our affections to be rightly aligned with your hearts. Lord, help us to learn from Jesus that even in his hurt and in his pain and loss, that through the strength he drew from you, he was able to still have compassion. Lord, I know we fall short on that all the time. But we thank you that you did it perfectly for us. And therefore, we depend on you, your strength, as well as your grace and your forgiveness. And Lord, help that inward communion with you to lead us outward, Lord, in love and compassion to those around us. So Lord, we take a little time to worship you now so that you might change and transform our hearts. Even just a little bit, Lord, we would be grateful.